Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. series called Forever Changed, and what we've been looking at is how we follow Jesus in this re-emerging world, in case I, I believe that most of you have, have noticed, um, as we begin to re-emerge, it's a little bit more complex than we might have thought it would be, and then you throw in this whole thing of following Jesus, this core identity of those who claim Jesus um, at the foundational level, we're walking with Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that in this re-emerging world? And what we've been doing is we've been looking at characters in Scripture and how they come into contact with Jesus and have their lives completely transformed. It's impossible not to be changed if you get around Jesus. You're going to be transformed. He's going to mess you up, we've been saying. He's going to mess you up in the most beautiful way, um, in the most amazing, beautiful, powerful, wonderful way. And so we've looked at Mary Magdalene. We've looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus, the woman at the well. We've looked at Peter last week. Wasn't last week great? Looking at Peter's life and And this morning, we're going to look at a guy named Nicodemus, Nicodemus, and we find his story primarily in John chapter 3, so that's where we're going to be this morning. If you wanted to uh, get your Bible out and turn with me to John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the first 17 verses primarily. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. You know, at any given time throughout the course of Israel's history, there were over 6,000 Pharisees. Did you know that? At any given time, 6,000 Pharisees in the land of Israel. And a lot of times, this side of the Bible, when we hear the word Pharisee, we think of like hypocrite or religious, like uh, self-righteous person or whatever. But you guys got to hear me this morning. Um, Nicodemus and Pharisees in those times were not thought of like that. They just weren't. It would be akin to like your favorite YouTube pastor that you just love, that you share all the time on Facebook because he's got the wise words of God. You know what I'm saying? They're like, they're like the spiritual rock stars of their time. They were wealthy. They were influential. They were popular and they were well thought of. They weren't thought of as like hypocrites or like, um, self-righteous people. When people needed advice, life advice, they would go to these guys. They would go to the Pharisees. And so at any given time in Israel's history, there were like 6,000 of these guys roaming around Israel. And the, the thing about Nicodemus was that he was like the creme de la creme of Pharisees. He was not only one of those 6,000 Pharisees, he was on the ruling court, we were told. So he was what, he was on what we would call the Sanhedrin, which would be akin to like the Supreme Court. And not only that, Jesus says that he was the teacher of Israel. He calls him by name the teacher of Israel. He was the teacher of teachers. So this guy was like really popular, really influential, and really well thought of. Nicodemus was. What's interesting to note is that over, if there are over 6,000 Pharisees at any given time in the land of Israel, we're told about one of them following Jesus. One. 
Now, there's some debate in scholarship over whether Nicodemus was a follower of Jesus or not. I tend to be on the side that he was, that Nicodemus followed Jesus. The reason that I believe that Nicodemus followed Jesus was because Nicodemus provided the burial cloth for Jesus after he had died with Joseph of Arimathea. I believe that Nicodemus stood up for Jesus um, through um, through the process of his trial and his hearing. Um, and I believe that Nicodemus followed Jesus. So think about that. Out of 6,000 Pharisees, one followed Jesus. One. And we're all familiar with this passage that we're going to read, most of us. If you've ever been to a football game in December and you see behind the goalposts, you'll see this verse, John three sixteen, like at every NFL football game. You know what I'm saying? This is a very popular passage of scripture. And so many of us don't really know the backstory behind this passage. And so that's what we're going to get at today. And we're going to do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to read the passage, take some pauses, and then we're going to play, see the scripture come alive on the screen through um, the writers of The Chosen and see this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. So I know we've done it before and kind of like prayed and then worshipped and then prayed again and gave and prayed. But I just feel like just right now in this moment, just that we should pray and invite God's presence to come and speak to us. Sometimes familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. And I want this scripture to really come alive with us today. So Jesus, come. Just anoint your words. These are your words, God. I pray that there be greater freedom here. I pray that there would be a sense of your presence that we just can't deny. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. We pray unity in the room. And we pray, come, Holy Spirit, where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. There is the blessing of God. And so, Lord, we pray not for blessing, but that we would follow you into the blessing that you've already provided. Come, Holy Spirit. Put your power on your word. You say that your word does not return empty. It's filled with the life and presence of Jesus. So come. Now, there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. It's really important right off the bat to note that Nicodemus came to visit Jesus at night. I was going to, I was toying with sermon uh, title names and I was going to name my title Nick at Night. Okay. That was an easy one. That was a really easy joke. Had to pick that one off right from the top. But notice it says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Why? Have you ever thought, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? You know, some folks think that he was embarrassed, that he was like, uh, you know, I, um, if, if it were up to the writers of The Chosen, and you've seen The Chosen, I wasn't able to cast this demon out of Mary Magdalene, and Jesus was, and I'm embarrassed now, and so I need to come see him at night. He's performing all these signs and miracles. Word has gotten out about Jesus. And Nicodemus is, remember, the creme de la creme of Pharisees. And so how dare he be seen with this new upcoming like rabbi, Jesus, in broad daylight? Other people think, and here's where I am on the spectrum, is that 
Nicodemus was truly seeking to find Jesus, to find God, that he was a, a seeker, that he was seeking out what is behind all of these signs and miracles that Jesus is doing. And so he comes to him at night. He comes to him at night. He came to Jesus at night and he says to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Just a brief note on signs and miracles. Like I said, word has gotten out about Jesus. He's beginning to heal folks. People are starting to talk. They're like... How many, how many of you know that word of mouth is the most powerful form of advertising? You can post all of the Facebook events you want. You can put all the money you want into marketing. But the marketing system that God has given to the church are signs and wonders. And it's reserved only for the church. It's such a special gift to draw the hearts of men and women through this unique gift of signs and wonders. And they still happen today. God is still using signs and wonders through our hearts and our hands to draw folks into relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? So amazing. And so Nicodemus is starting to hear some of this talk about who Jesus is, maybe perhaps around town and, and people are talking and they're saying, were you at that wedding in Cana? I saw it. I saw it happen. This dude turned water into wine. And we had the greatest party. Wherever Jesus is, parties are sure to follow. Word is getting out that Jesus is not just some rabbi and teacher, as Nicodemus acknowledges him to be. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher, but also that Jesus has come from God. And so that's why Nicodemus is there at night. He's looking to investigate. He's looking to ask. He's curious. Where, where are these things coming from, Jesus? How are you doing these things that you're doing? For no one, Nicodemus says, the teacher of Israel, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. If God were not with him. And here we go. Here's where Jesus just blows this guy's mind. The scholar's mind. All of this learning. Learning, learning, learning. He just blows Nicodemus' heart up. In reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, for Nicodemus to hear something like this, this would have been like a double entendre. Ben Barnhart and I were talking about the absurdity of this phrase, born again. And before we dig into this phrase, born again, we have to deal with all the pretext. And the pretext is is that we're living in a society, in a culture where this phrase, born again, comes with a ton of baggage, doesn't it? What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, born again? Some people might think, oh, that person is a political conservative. Other people might think, man, that person's talking about born again. He must be talking about that one time that I was at this Billy Graham crusade and 
Billy Graham said some stuff and I was crying and I came forward and I had this experience. There's all kinds of negative and positive baggage that's associated with this phrase, born again. But you need to hear this morning is that when Nicodemus heard this phrase, born again, from the lips of Jesus, this would have been totally unique. This would have been something that was familiar to him linguistically to hear this phrase, born again. But the understanding of it in the, in the context of who gets into heaven and who doesn't get into heaven would have been totally unique in the first time it's ever been said like this. You see, because works and religion and doing good things were really important for Nicodemus. So important, did you know, that it wasn't just keeping the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. It wasn't just that. You see, Nicodemus was at the top of the heap, which means that he might have had a hand in writing these 613 laws. Laws that it took to be in relationship with God. If you wanted to be in relationship with God, you had to keep this list of laws, 613 laws. I was walking with a friend this week in Columbia Reservation. Beautiful place. And as we get to the end, you know, there's this Sunday shop, which I had to stop at and get a milkshake because I love their milkshakes. And I look over and there's this sign by the Rocky River and it's all this small little print. And I, I was like, what is that? And at the top, it says rules and regulations for a river. Maybe it's got to do, deal with like how many people can kayak and when you can do it and all of that. But it's all of this fine print. And I just thought, isn't that something? I'm studying about works of, of righteousness and what it takes to be in right relationship with God through the lens of this person, Nicodemus. And here's all of these rules. And re- I mean, you guys, the sign was huge and the print was so fine. And it was line after line of rules and regulations for Columbia Reservation. Now, Cleveland Metro Parks does a wonderful job, and that's probably why they have so many rules and regulations. But when we apply it here, this would have been totally unique for Nicodemus to hear that it wasn't his good works. It wasn't his good works that gets him into heaven. This phrase, born again, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, If you want to see the kingdom of God come, you must be born again. You must be born again. What does he mean by that? Nicodemus didn't understand. Nicodemus didn't get it. And a lot of times we don't either. Okay, let's put it this way. By a show of hands, how many people in the room this morning, you can raise your hand if you're at home. How many people in the room this morning were born? A few of Almost all of you. Okay, great. Okay. All of you were born. Okay, from people who raised their hand and you said you were born, what role did you play in being born? Like what? Okay, one. Jack. Awesome. <laughs> you see, it's such an absurd question, right? Because we didn't play a role in being born. We just were. We just were. We just were born. You didn't have a hand in, like, bringing yourself into this world. Kids, I know. 
You didn't. You just didn't. I didn't. You didn't. We didn't play a role in bringing ourselves into the world. We were just born. And that's what Jesus is saying about what it means to be entering into the kingdom of God. That it's, Nicodemus, it's not by anything that you do. You could keep 613 laws consistently every day and you're still not going to make it. You're still not going to make it. Jesus is like, no, you've heard it said before that when you keep these laws, you, you will be in right standing with God. And you heard that's the way to heaven. Uh, no, it's actually something different entirely. It actually takes you being born again and you don't play a role in that. That's all a gift from God. That's a spiritual transformation that takes place in your life. This phrase, born again, can also be translated born from above. And so Jesus goes on and he says, I tell you the truth. No one can see see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born where, when he is old? Nicodemus asks. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. You see how crazy this is for Nicodemus to hear? And should be for us as well. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So here's Jesus. Now he's about to wax theological with Nicodemus. He's saying, you're a scholar, you're a teacher, I'm going to come to you. And he's looking to connect with Nicodemus. He's getting ready to connect with him in a very powerful way. We'll see next. But he's getting ready to connect with Nicodemus. And he says, this, this thing of the wind, you, can, you, you can't see the wind. How can you see the wind? You can see the effects of the wind. And he's saying being born again is like the same thing. It's the same thing as the wind. You really can't like see it, see it. But you can see the effects of folks' lives. When the wind has, the wind of the spirit has blown through their lives. You know, many people describe it as just um, a sunrise sort of moment where they're changed and they look at themselves and they say, I don't even recognize myself anymore. The person that I used to be no longer lives. And later in scripture, we're told, but it's, but it's Christ who lives in us, through us. That's what it means to be born again, to be born from above. And if we're going to follow Jesus in this re-emerging world, we're going to need to understand how to carry new life. How to carry being born again into a new world. Where folks are so hungry and so desperate for new life. That folks would look at our lives and see a difference. I know many are feeling that way. It's all right if I share this, Jay. I met with a friend this week over coffee and he's, his desire is to, um, to see this. He feels this almost like this holy frustration inside. 
about just being known as a good guy or being known as the wind, as a man who carries new life into every situation in these mundane day-to-day relationships that we have. Could God be setting him Setting you in these places at your work, with your family, wherever you travel, on vacation even, on the beach, with others, at the boat. Tammy, our kids' pastor, is at the boat. You better believe she's carrying new life when she goes to the boat and hangs out with her, how she calls her boat people there in New York. But my friend, he's got this holy frustration. He's like, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired of just being known as like a good guy, a nice guy. You know, that's, that's great. I told him that's great that people see you as a, a good guy, a nice guy. We need more good guys out there. We need more nice guys out there. But I hear your heart, man. I hear your heart that you want more. There's more to this following Jesus thing than being known as a good person, as a nice guy or a nice girl, a nice woman, a nice man. It's deeper than that. If we claim to carry this new life inside of our chest, the Holy Spirit of God, if we claim to have this new work of birth happening in our lives, my friend is asking the question that tons of us are asking right now, especially after a year of being isolated from one another with the traumas of last year, to walk into this re-emerging world saying, I want to be known for more than being just a good person because you know what? Being a good person doesn't get me into heaven. Likewise, being a good person doesn't get your friends into heaven, your loved ones into heaven. What does get heaven into us is exactly what Jesus is talking about here with Nicodemus, being born again. Being born again, it's like the wind. You can't really see it, but we can see the effects of the wind. And as I'm talking to my friend, drinking iced tea together, the rain was coming down. It was cold. And we looked out on the Bagley Road uh, there at Panera, and we saw, you know, it was just like free. I felt like it was November again this week. Cleveland weather is crazy. Anyways, back. Okay. And as we're drinking tea together, we just look out on a Bagley Road and there's these big trees there by Bagley Road, Panera. And wouldn't you know it, there's two different colors of green in the trees. Why? Because it was so cold and so windy and rainy that the wind was just rushing down Bagley Road and the leaves that were blown by the wind were a lighter color, a lighter shade of green because they were being, they were being just ripped up by the wind. And I said, it's kind of like those trees. And he said, yeah, it is kind of like those trees. Being born again, carrying new life inside of us. It's sort of like the wind. Can't really see it. But the evidence of its presence is there in our lives. And so Jesus is waxing theological here with Nicodemus, and then he goes on. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. How can this be? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you about earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
No one has ever gone into heaven. Remember, this is pre-crucifixion. He's talking with Nicodemus. This is great. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to connect with you, Nicodemus, and I'm going to get down to your level. And I'm going to bring you an analogy from your Bible, from the Torah. And so what he's talking about here is this time in Israel's history when they're, when they're, um, when they're escaping slavery from Egypt. And they did something wrong. And how Ben talked about the whole entirety of like the old covenant is like, do good things get blessed? Do bad things get cursed? And so God sends these like snakes. And these snakes start biting the people. And people are dying. And so he's talking with Nicodemus. And he's like, do you remember that? Do you remember that when all of the Israelites were dying from snake bites? And what happened? Well, Moses lifted up this bronze serpent. Have you ever seen the... Um, the uh, American Medical Association insignia. That's, this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. There's like, there's like salvation in it for the Israelites back in this time in the Old Testament. And so anyone who looks at this, this bronze serpent on a pole will be saved from being snake bitten and healed and forgiven. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, it's that simple. I'm like... That bronze serpent on the pole where anyone who looks at me and believes in the one that God the Father sent here on earth will be saved from the poison of sin and forgiven of all unrighteousness. And that's all that it takes. All of your good works, you can keep them. All of your deadly good works, you can keep them. It's a free gift. All you have to do is look at the person of Jesus and you're saved from the poison of sin. That's it. I'm not going to work too hard for that, but that was really good news right there. That was really, really good news. Good job. Yeah, good job, because it's not about our works. It's not about how many poor people Mike and Rita serve at Seeds of Hope, and they know this. It's not about how many people, like, do you think I'm going to, like, get to heaven someday, and, and God's going to be like, oh, you're a professional Christian. Well, we might as well, you, you pastored this church uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and, you, you know, come right in, Eben. No! Isn't it crazy that all of the things that I do as a pastor don't qualify me to get into heaven? Not one. Not one. Because I can't do enough good deeds. You can't do enough good things to get into heaven. You, you just can't. That's really convicting for me to hear. Is that challenging for you to hear this morning? That you can't do enough good things to get into heaven? The scripture says that even the best of our good deeds are like filthy rags before the throne of God. If you're convicted by that, let me tell you, I'm your pastor and I'm convicted by that. I'm like, crap. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only logical response to that message. Crap. What? And that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's like, what are you talking about? 
Jesus is saying, just like that bronze serpent that was held up and people looked at and were saved, so too the Son of Man is going to be lifted up and by his death and resurrection from the grave is the only way heaven comes into us. You know, a lot of people take this passage and we're going to read the most famous one here in one second. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And they take that and say, ah, fire insurance. I got it. And they say the real purpose of Jesus coming was to get us into heaven. And I'm here to tell you that's not the purpose of this verse. The real purpose of this verse is to get heaven into you. Not to get you into heaven, to get heaven into you so that where you live will expand and look more like where Jesus is. You are set to colonize the people of earth with the new culture of the kingdom of God. His reign, his rule. For God so loved the world, he so loved, he so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge it, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the purpose of Jesus coming to put heaven into us. And it's really a question of like religion versus relationship. That's what he's getting at. And if you're around the church for any period of time, I hope you'll hear this here. It's not about religion. It's not about doing good things, but it's about relationship with God. There's this story of this guy who gets his first job out of college. It's his like first professional job. And so he goes out and he's like, I want to lease a car. I want to get a sweet car now that I've got a good job. And so he goes out and he buys this wonderful sports car. This wonderful sports car. It's beautiful. Black on black. You know, just super shiny. And and every Saturday he was so proud of the car that he took it to the car wash. And he'd even spring sometimes to get to like the deluxe wash. You know, like get the rims like all shiny and all of that. And one day he was driving the car and it started to like buck on him. And it was like like that. And so he takes it into the mechanic and he said, there's something wrong with my car. I've taken really great care of it. I've washed it like every weekend. And he was like, well, have you changed the oil in the car? And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is like the new model. This is like the sports car. That was one of the selling points. They said it was no maintenance. And the mechanic says, no, 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 no. It was low maintenance. But congratulations, since you didn't change the oil, you not only need a new oil change, you need a whole new engine. You blew two cylinders on your engine. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. And in Luke 11, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's saying you spend so much time on performance, on looking good on the outside, you neglect what really matters. It's not just the outside, it's the inside Jesus wants to get at. What good is a car wash if the engine is breaking down? And that's what it means to be born again. It's to have Jesus come and transform the inside of our lives into new life and new creation. 
so that heaven comes to us. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you work so hard on washing the outside of the bowl, but you neglect the inside in Luke 11. What really matters. And so what I wanted to do now as we close is I wanted to show this clip and see the scriptures come alive. And as we view it, I wonder if we could read this together. John 3.16. And as we read it, I want you to insert your name instead. For God so loved Eben, Sarah, Jen, Emma, Ben, Renee. Insert your name as we read it together. Because it's not just that Jesus died for the world, right? It's that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. I carry new life. And so it's really simple. Are you guys ready? Just insert your name. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son that if believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Born again. Let's check out this, this clip from The Chosen. Settle in. It's a little bit longer than the other ones we've watched. This house for more lanterns. But he said they would draw attention. Yes, I imagine they would. The human eye is drawn to light. We can't help it, it just happens. There are many things we are drawn to without our thinking or our ability to explain why. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. Was no help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes. Of course. Wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. 
And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things... And you do not believe. How can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt, and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents, and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. And from what? From sin. From spiritual death. 
God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. All about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. the sun. 